Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I am Kaylee Fretz. We've got a fantastic episode for you today. We're going to talk about Tom Dumoulin's somewhat surprising announcement, some Olympics on TV, Justin Williams and Red Bull, plus a whole bunch of other things. We've got most of the usual crew. Actually, I think basically all of the usual crew here today. We'll start with James. Hanging out in your spare bedroom. I was gonna say, who's who's Nobody's missing? missing. I'm I'm once again sitting at my kid's Lego table. Best place to be. Best place to be. It, you know, it's it's really not the it's really not that bad, and more importantly, it's quiet down here and warm. Shoddy Dave, face of Continental Hello. Tires. We'll explain that more in detail next week. How are you today? I'm feeling um, pr- privileged to be the face of yeah face of Continental. We'll let you say more of that next week. <laughs> Abby, you tried to lock yourself out of an apartment in Andorra today. How did that go? That was not me. That was my incredible fiance who did that. So. It's not great. Uh, <laughs> Dane Gash, your beard is looking just wondrous this morning. Thank you. I wasn't locked out of my apartment, so I was able to do a little trimming uh, before the pod, before the potential video situation. So thanks. Thanks for noticing. And Jose, you've got your new uh, little broadcast set up. Congratulations on the new gig with Eurosport. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the cycling season to start, but I just read in the French newspapers, and I think Dave said it a few weeks ago as well, that the French are heading for a lockdown. So I'm kind of anxious that it might take a while before I start in my new home studio setup. But it won't go anywhere. It's just sitting here. So I'll be patient. For those who missed the little announcement, Jose is going to be doing commentary throughout much of the year. Uh, and, of course, in addition to joining us on the podcast and writing stories for CyclingTips.com. All kinds of stuff this yeah. year. People were kind of worried that I was leaving you guys, but of course I'm of course I'm not. I'm not. I was worried. Yeah, James but I will never leave you, James. Of course not. <laughs> Let's get into today's episode we got a bunch of news to talk about. Dane, where do we want to start? I, th- I feel like Tom Dumoulin is maybe the place to start here. And I'm, I'm assuming that, Jose, you'll have some insight into the, the sort of backstory on this one as well. But, Dane, kick us off. Yeah. Um, the, the, and the timing actually is what I think makes this really interesting. So I'll set the scene first. On, on I guess it was Friday, uh, we got the news of Yumbo Visma's um, Tour de France well, their entire Tour de France roster. They did. They did it again. They decided they're going to roll out their whole Tour de France roster all these months in advance, uh, along with their Giro roster. The plans for the whole season, basically. We learned that Tom Dumoulin was going to go back to the Tour de France, uh, and we learned about everything else that that the big stars are going to be doing this year. Uh, and then within 24 hours, uh, it was announced that Tom Dumoulin is actually he's taking a break. He's going to take a break from racing, uh, stepping stepping aside for a while um, for the time being. We don't know how long that's going to be. Um, but he is, yeah, he's going to be taking a break, which means who knows if he'll be doing the things that, uh, the team said that he was going to be doing. He had planned to do the classics. Um, there, there was a plan to, to send him to the tour of Flanders, uh, before, before the kind of grand tour season. And, uh, now who knows, who knows what's going to happen? I feel like, I mean, first of all, good for Tom for doing what Tom needs to do. I think that, that that's sort of a very important thing to say first and foremost. But as a bike racing fan, it is it's kind of a bummer here. I mean, I, I did always get the sense that he didn't love all the attention, that he didn't love all the 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 media circus around him. I mean, I remember was it basically from his Giro win or maybe even before that. Uh he yeah, he just never he was always quite comfortable with the media he was always uh, a good talker and, and always uh, handy with a good quote and you know his, obviously his English is fantastic and things like that which we always appreciated as English language media uh, but he never seemed to really kind of embrace the the stardom that he had and that feels like it was a big part of why he ended up wanting to step away for a little while I mean the the video that they put out mentioned a whole bunch of different reasons, but the, the sort of first and foremost seemed to be just that he wasn't enjoying himself. He wasn't he wasn't motivated. He wasn't you know riding to the best of his abilities, and that was really difficult for him to take mentally. So maybe a break is exactly what he needs. You do wonder if uh, that's the reason he's not sort of stepped up to be the Grand Tour champion that he was expected to be, whether he's gone, yeah, I don't want all the adulation, I don't want all the pressure 
or the media that goes with being the man who's going to go for the Tour de France and why last year he did seem happy to be a, the, the, a super domestique. I feel like if your head isn't 100% in it, then your legs aren't going to be either. Like it's very much the, it doesn't matter how fit you are. If you're, if you have any kind of reservations, if you're not feeling it in any way, then, then your legs are going to know that you're not, you're not in it, you know? Yeah, it was a, it was a quote by uh, Chantal Black, a winner of the Tour of Flanders, former world champion. She says, you can win races with bad legs and a good head, but you can never win races with a bad head and good legs. And um, just like you said, the adulation that Tom Dumoulin uh, met here in the Netherlands was huge. Um, you must imagine that after Jan Janssen at the end of the 60s and Joop Soetermelk, uh, we never had a Grand Tour winner. He was the third only in the history of this country. And um, he loved being um, anonymous. He, he comes from a family which is not at all focused on on sports. He comes from an academic background who basically say, okay, okay, you won something in sports, but what does that mean for the world? If he, um, he, if he would have gotten a place at university, he would have been uh, on his way to becoming a doctor. That's what he wanted to do. But then he discovered that he is a good bike rider. Um, so he's a very intelligent guy, obviously. If you can, uh, can go on and study medicine, you, you're, you got a good head on your shoulders. Uh, but he had really big trouble with the pressure. And as he explains in that clip, he experienced the pressure from everybody, from the team, from the media, from the fans, from his uh, teammates, from his own family, from everybody. And in the end, he, th he was thinking, what do I want? And he had a great metaphor in explaining that. And Marcel Kittel said the same thing on Dutch radio yesterday. Once you're a pro cyclist or a pro athlete in general, you never have the time to really stop and think. You're in this fast moving train. And he actually says, I'm getting out of this train, going to stop at the station. Maybe I'll take the same train again, or maybe I'll take a totally different train. And I was thinking today, it's like, what if Tom Dumoulin really finds his spark back for cycling and becomes what Robert Geesink has become? Robert Geesink has kind of the same story. He came after a period where there was hardly any Grand Tour contenders in the Netherlands. So when he was doing well with the top 10 places in the Tour and the Welts, etc., all the pressure was mounted onto his shoulders. And now he's a super domestique. He does his job on a mountain in, in, in the Tour de France and then he just drops and finishes the stage. And he loves it. You can see the smile on his face when he does that. And I think maybe Tom Dumoulin can reinvent himself like a Rowan Dennis, uh, Filippo Ganna kind of super domestique and not have that pressure of winning a Grand Tour. But then, yeah, if you once won big things like that, can you go and have the mindset to become... Uh, domestique I don't know it, it's up to him we can think all sorts of things but it's he has to decide maybe his own mindset doesn't matter but it's the fact that he's always going to be a grand tour winner so even if he does go back go back to being a domestique if he does come back and he and he's the super domestique then he'll always be you know a grand tour winner that's something he'll never be able to really like shrug off and, and another thing about this is I wonder how much the pandemic had to, had to play because it seems that a lot of writers are questioning, you know, what does sport have to do with anything in the grand scheme of things after the pandemic and, ha and being home and spending more time with their families. And from the background that Dumoulin comes from, it sounds like his family would have been very much on the side of like doing something greater in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, how important is sport? So I wonder if that, we can only like speculate, right? But I think I wouldn't be surprised if that was another factor. Yeah, the, the one thing that was so totally clear um, in that clip that he was so incredibly elated that he took this decision because like he says, it's been, it's been haunting him for quite a while. Also during last year's pandemic uh, that he started thinking and he, he said, just like a little sentence in that documentary that Jumbo Visma made uh, called Code, Code Geel, Code Yellow. He said, yeah, during the springtime, I thought of quitting cycling. So this has been on his mind for, for quite some time. And the people around him, uh, like his trainer, uh, Mathieu Heiboer, he was not surprised. And I spoke to a former uh, colleague of him and also Marcel Kittel who was on Dutch radio in, in fluent Dutch, by the way, which was really, really amazing. Um, he, they've been talking, they've been calling each other because Marcel says, Kittel says, I've been through the exact same thing. I've won 14 Grand Tour stages 
and then I started thinking and he said, I hope Thomas is happy with the decision that he will make eventually. So I think it's really, really nice that these two who are in a similar path in their careers are actually connecting over this uh, this thing. Either way, whether he comes back or stays out of the sport, we've got to thank him because over the past, what, 10, 11 seasons, he's been absolutely awesome to watch. He's been, that come, come from the Continental Robobank team all the way through uh, Argos Shimano and never faulted. He's always, he's always been fantastic with us as a media uh, organisation, well up for chatting, never, I've never heard, had a, bad thing to say about him. I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about him. Yeah, plus he's just superb to watch on a bike. So yeah, if he comes back, great. If not, yeah, thanks very much, Tom. You've been entertained us. Well said, Shadi. Well said, Shadi. Uh, Let's move on to the next news item here. The Olympics. Yay or nay, Dane? Uh, Are they happening? Are are we going to see... Olympic bike races in Tokyo this summer? That is a good question. It depends on what day, what hour you check the news. Um, there was a report in the Times uh, last week, late last week, suggesting that the decision had more or less already been made and they were looking for a way to announce the decision. Um, and then the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, uh, released a statement. They quoted the, the Japanese government saying, no, that's not true. Um, you know, we're still, still pulling. We're still going ahead with our with our plans. Uh, so at the moment, it's still unclear, and it, I think it's going to remain unclear for a little while, uh, unless somebody cancels it. Uh, but for now, I think it's it's just unclear what, whether they're really going to go ahead. That the the Japanese government seems to be, and, and the IOC as well. They seem to be pretty, um, and they've said they're very interested in, in going forward and trying to put you know protocols in place that that will keep people safe. Uh, while still being able to host this event, which uh, obviously has already been pushed back by a year. This is the 2020 Olympics we're talking about in January of 2021. If if you look at um, in the Netherlands, for example, and in Belgium as well, there was a little bit of optimism until the mutations came. Uh, The one that we call the British mutation, the South African mutation, which kind of changed the thing. And Japan had relatively few cases and they are now uh, the worst they've ever been one example if you're uh, in japan and you're going into labor as a woman your husband or boyfriend is not even allowed in the hospital so the rules are so incredibly strict so i can imagine that 80 percent of the japanese say okay we are experienced these rules here and that we are going to invite thousands of thousands of people from all over the world bringing who knows whatever mutations into this country I can imagine that the, the, the Japanese people are, are not particularly happy with... Um, they are an island nation, just like like New Zealand is, um, where they have things under control. So I, I think they are... I can understand that they are reluctant, um, especially the, the people in Japan. But I was, I was talking about this to Abby as well. Just, you know, these last chance Olympians, you know, Annemiek van Vleuten, she's 38. Uh, Alejandro Valverde is 41. Uh, Kirsten Will, she's <laughs> she's she's <laughs> last chance Olympia. Yeah, well, cool. with Paul Come on, he's got you, David uh, Rebellion to look up to. Uh, with Paul, <laughs> but but imagine being those athletes and you have everything riding on these Olympics, and then then it's okay, it's off, it's Paris twenty twenty four, and then you'll be forty five or forty two or, you know, like Kirsten Will, for example, she's won every world title since the last Olympics, since Rio. And now she was going to win that Olympic title, which is, of course, huge. Annemiek van Vleuten just crashing in that road race, basically maybe having one more chance. Of Yeah, I, I always feel for these last last chance in brackets um, athletes. Of course, Valverde is probably going to do a rebelline anyway. So <laughs> yeah, He's got at least four more left in him, I'm sure. <laughs> Masters 45 plus Olympic Games. Uh, yeah, I... We just don't know enough now at the moment, right? I mean, that's that's, that's what you were saying, Dane. It's like we, we don't really know what's going to happen here, partially because we just don't know what this summer is going to look like. We have absolutely no idea what this summer is going to look like. We have no idea whether, you know, vaccines are going to be exceptionally effective and things feel normal in June or not. could be the other way around. We just, we just don't know. I definitely feel for the athletes. You know, it, I, I feel like it's less 
maybe less so on the men's side generally. Uh, but you know, in, in, in the women's Peloton, the Olympics are still kind of the biggest thing going. And that's, yeah, that's just a real shame when you've been looking at something for four years and dreaming of something for four years, now five, and maybe it doesn't happen at all. So I, t- I tell you, I've got, I got a mate who uh, might have an inside scoop. So I'll ask him, he makes all the tap for the Olympics, you know, pens, badges, bags, <laughs> cheap hats, all that sort of stuff. So if the, if, contract the, if the pen orders have dried up, then we know it's it's not a good sign. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if he's, if he's got the nod to melt all that plastic back down <laughs> over bits and bobs. Well, no, he'll just he'll just confirm that they're that they've modified the order to say Tokyo 2021 question right. mark. <laughs> yeah. All right. We don't actually have any real sort of insider information on that one, other than the the the, the stories that have shown up in the international news media. So we'll leave that one for now. Something we will definitely keep an eye on. Next up, we actually do have a bit of insight into this one. NBC Sports is shutting down. This is this is a big deal for our American listeners out there. For everyone else, for our international audience, uh, you probably don't really care at all. But NBC Sports has been the the TV network that has hosted broadcast the Tour de France along with most other ASO races uh, for what eight years now, seven years now, going back to like Outdoor Life Network and all the rest. That network is shutting down. NBC obviously still exists. Uh, and so there's there's big question marks over basically how Americans will watch the Tour de France starting in 2022. They're going to apparently run through 2021 and then really change things up for next year. Do we have any insight into exactly what is going to happen here? I've been making some calls, and I have I have some inklings of what may happen. I think you've probably got the most insight. Of, yeah, tell us <laughs> tell us your inklings. Subject, yeah. I I will I will ask myself the question then, and I will now answer it. Uh, so I know I know quite a few folks uh, in and around the NBC world, um, and was sort of messaging around when this news came out, and it sounds like well, first of all, it sounds like no one really knows. Uh, this is definitely a bit of a, 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 an accidental leak. Uh, a lot of the people internally were not sort of fully aware that this was the plan. And we're kind of blindsided by this news report. Um, does sound like, in all likelihood, the Tour de France and the sort of rest of the ASO portfolio. So this also includes things like Perry Roubaix and Liège, Best in Liège, etc. These are all shown via some sort of NBC channel, right? Whether it's the the sort of free to air live broadcast or whether it's the paid, you know, NBC Sports Gold app thing that they have. NBC also has uh, a streaming service called Peacock and then a paid one called Peacock Premium. It sounds like the things like the Tour de France, the biggest days in cycling, are likely to probably get stuck into either the NBC kind of free-to-air live broadcast or on USA, which is owned by NBC. Uh, everything else is likely to end up on Peacock or if it's a smaller race or a smaller stage or whatever, Peacock Premium, so you're going to end up having to pay for it, which is kind of how it works right now. Like you can get, for example, the Tour de France generally sort of for free via NBC or via cable package or whatever, but to get some random ASO race that has been pulled into this this TV rights package, you have to get NBC Sports Gold. And NBC Sports Gold is going to go away. Peacock Premium is kind of going to take over that. So if you are in the U.S. and you want to continue watching ASO bike races, and again, that includes like Tour de France, Paris-Roubaix, Liège, etc., the Vuelta as well, then Peacock and Peacock Premium are most likely where you're going to find those things. But it's all still up in the air because they could just resell the rights to some other broadcaster. That's entirely possible. They could just stop showing it because it does cost them money, even though they've already purchased the rights. The rights that they have for this whole ASO package runs through 2023, and we don't really know what 2022 and 2023 are going to look like. There's there's a bunch of different options in front of the NBC execs, and we don't know which decision they've made yet. Just just for my information, these extra packages, you know, Eurosport is free to air in the Netherlands. Um, in Belgium, it's even in the law that you have to see the races like World Championships, Tour de France, Tour of Flanders on an open channel. It's actually in That's Belgian amazing. law. Yeah, that the Belgian, that it has to be on public television. 
but what kind of prices do you pay for these extra packages? What because we have, of course have the Eurosport player, which is uh, forty euros a year, and you basically get everything. But that doesn't it's, exist in the states, does it? Yeah, it's more than that. It's I think it's like seven ninety nine a month or five ninety nine a month or it's something in that kind of range. It's what it's what all those streaming services are now, right? I mean. <laughs> I feel like I'm signed up for like 27 of them and I would be better off with just a cable package. I, I like how we all like cut the cord a couple years ago and everyone got rid of their cable and we're like, ah, we're just going to get the streaming package that we actually want and use. And then it turns out they just spread all the streaming stuff out as much as they possibly could. So we all have to subscribe to all of it. And I feel like in a couple years time, someone's going to come up with a brilliant business plan to just wrap all of these into one cable package again and we'll be back where we were in 2008 that's where i feel like we're about to go but anyway i yeah i think it's 5.99 i'm pretty sure it's 5.99 i have it because uh it's like the way you watch premier league here in the states as well and so i've already got it which is nice uh the other option of course and uh obviously you know here at the cycling tips podcast we always follow the law and we do not condone this but um it is possible to trick your computer or trick, I should say, uh, Eurosports servers into thinking that you are not in America. Uh, it's called a, a NPV, VPN, PNV, one of those three. Uh, Google VPN. it. <laughs> yes, I was joking. <laughs> it's called a VPN. If you get yourself a VPN, you can you can convince uh, you can convince Eurosport that you're in France or something like that, or the UK, and then you can just get the Eurosport player, and that is the other way to deal with this. Uh, already quite popular among many americans because frankly trying to watch bike racing here in the states is been quite annoying already um i I guess i should mention too that there's there's sort of possible upsides to this which is that if nbc in particular if they decide not to renew those rights in 2023 that potentially puts Uh, that whole ASO package in the hands of somebody else that maybe already owns other cycling rights. Because one of the issues right now is that they've got, NBC has all the rights to these ASO races. And then, and I should say like the world championships and a couple other things. And then most of the rest of cycling is found elsewhere. And so you have to purchase multiple packages and it's a huge pain in the butt. Plus NBC actually owns rights to events that they don't usually broadcast, or at least they don't broadcast for free. Uh, And so it's possible that these rights get sold to somebody else and it just actually makes it easier for Americans to watch other races. Uh, for example, like if you know the Flow, Flow Sports Network, for example, was to pick up these particular rights, they already own things like the Giro, uh, et cetera, and you could then watch basically the entire cycling season via one subscription. That could be kind of a nice outcome of this. That said, that sounds way too easy. Kaylee. It's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's just wishful thinking. And that said, you know, I, I, I think it's important. We always try to pull in the human element to these things. There's a lot of really great people who work in the NBC uh, cycling space. Uh, and to see them now be, well, unclear where they're going. That's that's always a, a huge bummer as well. Let's not forget that there's a bunch of people that have worked really hard to bring us this these broadcasts over the last many years and now they don't know what they're going to be doing pretty soon let's hope it goes to peacock though because i'm just checking out what other programs that that network offers and they do a reboot of saved by the bell which ain't too shabby (laughs) (laughs) it is a little bit questionable the saved by the bell reboot i i tried to watch it and i i can't i can't quite back it it's not like the reboot of uh full house which is a oh i love that yeah, I love that. I feel like we've got our debate topic for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, moving on because I know that we don't want to, you know, bore the uh, all the international audience with our discussion of American broadcasting. Uh, next on my list here, Justin Williams has joined Red Bull. Obviously, Justin Williams, friend of the podcast. Anything to add other than that statement? Justin Williams has joined Red Bull. That is kind of the headline. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's it's great for Justin Williams. It means he has a lot more uh, support than he has in years past. And he joins a very uh, stacked number of riders that are sponsored by Red Bull, including uh, Wout Van Aert, for example, uh, Evie Richards, Tom Pidcock. So a lot of um, 
cross riders, Polly and Fran Prevost. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because he's not actually riding for Legion's pro team. He's riding for the, the I don't know, what, that's not an amateur team, but he's not riding for the Continental squad, right? Uh, and quite purposely, I think he very much views his, his role there now as this sort of like mentor kind of role, uh, almost like a riding GM, I think is, is, is pretty similar to what, what, he, what he's doing. So it's interesting to me that Red Bull is now coming on basically to support his, his efforts almost away from the actual uh, athletics, right? The actual racing, because he's just he's he's been pushing the sport forward here in the U.S. So effectively, I think that that's that's really the big reason why Red Bull came on. I should mention as well, uh, I was on the phone with the Legion folks last week, and we are. I promised this a while ago, and I said it was going to happen when the, when the season kicked off. We are working on the, the first episodes of the Legion podcast, so that is coming soon, and this Friday. We're going to be doing a bit of a, a bit of a team launch with them via the Cycling Tips social media channel. So mostly on uh, it'll be via Instagram Live, and it'll be myself and Justin and a couple other team members. And we're going to be sort of launching the team and and opening uh, opening up to, to re- like viewer questions. And so if you're watching, you can just chuck questions in. We'll chuck them over to the team, get those questions answered for you. That'll be this Friday, I think it like 9 a.m. Colorado time, 8 a.m. Pacific time is the plan at the moment. Details of that are still getting kind of ironed out this week, but yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Uh, we, we're huge fans of what Legion is doing, and so we're trying to you know, do what we can to stick the megaphone in front of them. I also wonder what might happen with the power of Red Bull Media behind someone like Justin Williams. That's massive. Like, I'm, I'm, curious what, I'm curious what effect that might have on sort of the the domestic US crit racing scene in general because as far as like a you know a uh, spectator friendly version of of cycling i mean that's a that's pretty spectator friendly i mean it's sort of like the road road equivalent of cyclocross in a lot of ways and a lot of people just don't really know about it and partially because it's been you know very much dying a slow steady death here in the US um but i, I would be curious to see if you know red bull backing could potentially bring it back to a certain degree. I mean, we all know Red Bull's got plenty of money, so if they want to make something happen, they can make something happen. We can yeah, dream, I mean, they've got... James. We can dream. <laughs> we, can, we can absolutely do... I mean, Red Bull could come in and just say, we're going to start a 10-race crit series in the U.S., and they could easily fund that and and put it on, uh, you know, broadcast it live, just like they do with the entire mountain bike series, mountain bike World Cups, for example, which they do an amazing job with. And they would really capture... They would do a much better job cap- capturing what those races are really like than, uh, well, <laughs> than has ever been done before. I-, I mean, I'm thinking about things like one of the things that Legion and in particular uh, Corey Williams is, are, are quite sort of famous for is the helmet cam in the middle of a crit, which having done a lot of the same crits that they these guys race, it's kind of the only way that I've seen from a broadcast perspective to come close to capturing the chaos of these things and how kind of insane and scary they are and also really entertaining. Uh, I, I, I'm imagining things like what if Red Bull came in and said, we're going to broadcast a bunch of these big crits and we're going to run, uh, we're going to run live feeds off the helmets of a bunch of the riders in the, in the crit and use that as part of the broadcast. Right. I mean, this is a company that has sort of fundamentally changed the way that mountain bike world cups have been broadcast. And I think that they could, they could potentially come in and do the same thing in the crit world. Granted, we're saying this having zero inkling or zero zero knowledge of what their actual big plans are, but the fact that they are getting involved with Legion and with Justin is a good sign. Right, but chances, I, I would say the chances are probably pretty good that Red Bull is not coming in just to get the Red Bull colors on Justin Williams' helmet on his Instagram feed. Like, they clearly have bigger plans in store. As they always do, and they have plenty of cash. They used to have the uh, single speed races, obviously. That, that they used to sponsor them, and then over here in Europe, you've got the, um, I think it's called the mini, the Red Bull Mini Drone races that sort of pop up in city centres, which is like a tiny, a tiny, tiny little velodrome. So, if you bundle all that together, you could have like a rolling circus of crits, fixed gear racing, mini drone. Yeah. 
bit of BMX in on the side because they obviously sponsor all that sort of stuff. It could be like yeah, a or just uh, radio controlled crit racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the cool the coolest thing festival. about the coolest thing about the American crit scene is just that a lot of these races happen in downtown areas, and it just becomes this big party, right? And that's what I'm sure that's what Red Bull would be interested in is how do you how do you then sort of take that <clears throat> take that that really kind of uh, party element and bring it to the masses, right? Because uh, a big part of the problem historically has just been, well, just a lack of, of cash, right? They just can't make these things that big because there's not enough cash, and Red Bull doesn't have that problem. So, yeah, fingers crossed. And like I said, keep an eye out for Legion Podcast. It's coming. It's coming soon. And this Friday, we'll chat with Justin Williams and the rest of the team to launch that program uh, unfortunately their their sort of planned team camp basically had to get nixed this week because of coronavirus but this is uh this is what we're gonna do instead breaking news little uh little siren here richie port won on Wollonga hill astonishing i was i was just i was <laughs> just happy i was just happy that in the midst of everything that's different this year Something stayed the same. Yeah, but that didn't happen last year, and we decided it no, was and then a good thing. Yeah, and then he was third in the Twitter France. So, oh my God, Richie, what have you done? Yeah, he clearly He's didn't listen to our podcast. Oh God. And then Kaylee has to write an article again, and people will be angry. And oh my God, this is going to be carnage. Richie thinks that I was comparing him to Neville Longbottom, and I was not comparing him to Neville Longbottom. I was just saying that he seems like he could probably be jinxed by Neville Longbottom, who's not a particularly good wizard. That's all I was saying. Okay. That's wrong, but I'll let it. (laughs) I understand he becomes a hero at the end. Anyway, we're not going to make this into a Harry Potter podcast. We're not going to do it. Also, victorious on Wollonga Hill, Sarah Giganti, uh, who appears to be able to kind of just ride away from the entire uh, women's peloton kind of whenever she wants to. And she's like, what, 19 or 20 or something like that? She is a absolute super talent. So She rode incredibly well. 20 years old, her ability to kind of just ride away from basically um, the bike exchange team because they were pretty much the only big team at the race uh sarah was riding for the the national team um since obviously other teams if you're not australian you can't really get in um but yeah she won she won the overall she was the first woman to ever win on wolonga i'm pretty sure because they have not ever had that in the women's tour down under so that's pretty cool uh, unlike on the on the men's side, Sarah Gigani won both the, the Wollonga stage and the, the overall, but we should give a quick mention to the overall men's winner at the Santos Festival of Cycling, which was Luke Durbridge, who had a heck of a ride on Wollonga Hill. Uh, not exactly the kind of rider you tend to see thriving on Wollonga Hill, uh, but he had a great race throughout the entire four days, held on to his win, and won pretty pretty convincing on the men's side. So nice job from from Durbridge to uh, to do that on a on terrain that is... Not exactly his style. He's a big boy. That was many watts. Lots yeah. of watts. Next on my list of, of news here, we're going to cruise through the last ones here quickly because we are moving on in time here. Is Alejandro Valverde actually going to retire at the end of 2021? Is this going to happen? Is uh, is he done? I think he is. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know everybody thinks the Rebellion thinks it's going to happen, but uh, he's, he's said this for a while. He said for the last year and a half that uh, 2021 was going to be going to be it. I think he's going to try to give another go at the Olympics and then that's it. Uh, and I think the big one with, with, uh, with Valverde is he's really, he has not had the same level of success over the last year and a half that he had. I mean, he was going into his late thirties, he was still doing great. And then he really has not quite been uh, the same rider that he was. And it's, yeah, I think he knows it's probably about time to call it a career after this year. He didn't have any results. Well, no wins, I should say. He got plenty of second places last year. But it's ridiculous to think that he started, what, way back in 2002, just after that millennium bug. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yeah. I think what, what Abby said at the start of the podcast also goes for uh, Valverde. Um, 
he has a he has a large family. I think he experienced family life uh, during the lockdown last year, and uh, he hasn't been the same since. He he was one of those riders really struggling with finding the motivation to get on a trainer, and um, overall, Movistar hasn't been great last year. So Volvede was was no exception. Of course, they won the team classification twice, which is one of the prime motivations for Eusebio Unzue in in everything. And they had like four riders in the top 20 of the Grand Tour. So that's that's really good. But yeah, Valverde, I, I spoke to Valverde last year and um, I, th- I think this will be his last year. And um, he has everything riding on the Olympics, um, which will be really hard because it's a very explosive course for the men. The women have a really stupid flat ride, but uh, the men have a really explosive um, parkour. I think he, he lacks the explosiveness for Tokyo, but... Well, maybe he can do it one more time. Innsbruck, he was already, what was he, 39? Something like that? 38? I feel like when the winner of the Tour de France uh, was born pretty close to when you started racing professionally, I think it's time to call it a career. I think it's... (laughs) Tadej Pogacar was born in 1998 and Valverde started racing professionally in 2002. That's a little bit... It's a little bit too close now. I think it's time. He's, He's... he should he should call it a career. He's had a fantastic career. He can now stop bike racing. I think I think that's a good thing. So he's a man that's clearly not had a problem with enjoying his racing or keeping his head on his shoulders with regards to uh, mental strength. Um, and it's yeah another bloke that we've got to say thank you because he has been awesome to watch as well. Just going back to his family life, saying if it is in, in wanting to spend more time with his family, I got an ace story from the 2015 Abu Dhabi tour. Like, I was stood with his wife for some reason at, at in the pits of the Formula One circuit and his son was just legging it round. His son must have been, I think, probably about five, six at the time, just legging it round all the team Soigneurs collecting bottles and you had this huge bag of bottles and you could see like the joy on his face of collecting a bottle from each team and you just think is this uh it might not be the last time we heard hear the name Valverde in the peloton if his son's got the same passion for cycling as he does last things on our list here cardiac issues for Viviani and Ulisi what's going on Dane yeah, same week we had uh, stories about two different riders, two different Italian riders, uh, having some cardiac concerns. Uh, Elio Viviani left the Cofidis training camp uh, having some cardiac anomalies. Uh, he was said that he was out riding and his heart rate jumped up to 220 beats per minute. And so he called a doctor, uh, went to a hospital in uh, Italy, got checked out, um, and underwent an ablation, which uh, he said uh, he's confident is going to solve the problem. So that's good news if that is the case. Uh, hopefully that, that is the case. I guess we'll have to wait and see about that. Um, and, I mean, that's, that is a, that's a medical procedure. That, that's, not, that's not just an easy thing. It's not just something that you could just, you know. Uh, no, they go up through your day. groin. Yeah, they go up through your groin. It's stick a thing up there. And, yeah. Anyway, uh, we've run, we actually ran a story about this from a friend of mine, uh, Owen McGrath, who had the same procedure done after uh, a series of AFibs, and he's been he has not had one since. Basically, they go up and they they kind of like burn a little piece of your heart because basically it's an electrical problem. So they just kind of like they they, they remove the short basically, uh, and but yeah, it'll take him it'll take him a couple of weeks before he wants to ride a bicycle again. That's for sure. Yeah, we also got Diego Lissi. Uh, he uh, I guess it was late last year, at some point in the last several weeks, uh, the team said they thought he had myocarditis and he was going to be undergoing some uh, medical te- checks, uh, which have been happening. He had a, he had a cardiac checkup, uh, and UAE said that uh, confirmed fibrosis in one of his heart walls. Um, they did some biopsies. Uh, I think they're still waiting on some final results on that, but they, they said the initial results were, quote, positive. So in this case, that is good. Uh, hopefully we'll see more good news from from Diego, from Diego Ulysses on that front. Yeah, isn't it funny Fingers how the entire entire vocabulary towards positive and negative has now changed? It has changed, yeah, for sure. <laughs> then I see a headline: Wout van Aert positive. 
about the world championships. And I go, oh my God. It, it's positive is negative and negative is positive <laughs> since the pandemic. It's it's usually confusing. I don't know. I would argue that positive in cycling has always been a bad thing. But now, yeah, that's true. Finally, a couple more races move to May. The entire season is going to happen in three weeks in May, apparently. Again. Again. Dang, yeah, we got? Algarve, uh, Ruta del Sol. I mean, just joining the long, long list of races that have been uh, called off uh, from their original dates, and then some of them have, are you know, have been postponed. Not all of them. Some of them have just been canceled, unfortunately. Uh, right now, it does look like we're going to have a very busy May. We will see how that actually pans out, whether those races will happen in May, um, whether other races will be postponed. Uh, we're, you know, At the moment, the, the, the kind of season is supposed to start for a lot of riders um, very soon. I mean, the season has already started for a handful of riders, uh, but a number of riders have their season debuts at uh, the Volta alla Comunità Valenciana, and some of them at Etoile de Bessege, so those are both coming up. Uh, Tour de la Provence coming up, so we'll see if those races go ahead and if those seasons actually start as those riders had planned. Side note, I got, I got Bessege and Provence confused last week in the podcast. I regret the error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tour de la Provence is actually only like five, six years old. Um, yeah. Bessege has been over 50. But That's like the one Dave's, I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, just like Dave said the other day about the upcoming French lockdown, I think Macron is going to address the nation on Thursday. I think. Uh, yeah, so that's that's going to be exciting. Um, the organizer of uh, Valencia, I think, is uh, is a former pro, uh, Angel. I think it's Angel Casero. He says we we are still on track of of racing. It's the third of February, and uh, Marseillaise is going to be on on Sunday. Um, but we had one race in Valencia on Saturday. It was a, a 1.2 race, so fourth division race. But I think I'm going to be stuck in this home studio for the entire month of May now. Just going to have some, some refrigerator here and, and coffee machine and, and my bed. And it's going Just to be a lot of racing. But yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, you get, you get heart palpitations from Red Bull. But Dave likes anyway. Red Bull. I don't need to yeah, Dane loves Red Bull, which I don't understand because when I drink Red Bull, I feel like my head, the top of my head's going to fly off about five minutes later. <laughs> it's not a good scene. But if anybody's kept an eye on like, the Dane news over the past couple of years, they'll realize that is, is um, consumption of food's interesting anyway. That first time I ever met him, a good few years back at the classics, he amazed me at how many chicken nuggets he could um, get down in, out in McDonald's. And ever since then, it's just it's been known to me as Mister Nuggets. I just say, I, I, I want to clarify that the the order of the amount of nuggets that I ate that night is is an order that you can get in the United States that you can't get it in in Lille where we were, which is entirely normal here. Um, Wait, there so, I had so to combine many, a couple of different boxes. How many? Yeah, so how many orders of nuggets did you have to order in Lille to hit one American order? It was two or three, because it was 20 nuggets, and I'm trying to remember, do they have an eight count? Was it 10 <laughs> count? Yeah, which is, you know, that's one, that you can get one thing, you can get 20 nuggets uh, here. It's, it's, 20, yeah, is that like the family size, though? Like, is that supposed to be... <laughs> that is, that is, that is, uh, that is one person's meal, uh, one very hungry Paris-Roubaix covering journalists' meal at midnight <laughs> when we couldn't find any other restaurants to go to, and it. Uh, Dane, I have to ask, how, how do you feel after eating twenty? You know, Usain Bolt ate uh, ate only McDonald's nuggets for his entire experience at the Beijing Olympics. So I feel like I can win a gold medal at the Olympics. Is how I feel. Uh, <laughs> should, should we specify which and sport? Is it like pro wrestling or is it yeah. going to be gymnastics? I no, I can go. I can go run a hundred meter dash in nine oh, seconds. Yeah. As, as as an aside, as an aside, I know we announced on the last podcast that uh, that Continental had signed on to to support the podcast for the next year. Uh, this episode, however, is brought to you by McDonald's and Red yep. Snack sponsor. Snack sponsor. Snack sponsor. We, yeah. we need to bring snack sponsors back. We we let snack sponsor kind of go because we're all in different places right now. So having a snack sponsor is a little bit difficult. But that is something we plan on bringing back once we can finally be in the same place once again. I know that Vecchios has invited us back. Vecchios has moved here in Boulder, but we're, we're going to go record the podcast there at some point. I don't I don't know why my proposal of just having you know having me 
be the recipient of the snack sponsor was was shut down. I mean, that seemed like a perfectly viable solution. If you've got snacks and you want to sponsor the podcast, just hit up James. That, no, James's qu- James's taste of chocolate is questionable at best. We can't send him the snacks. No, 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 no. <laughs> Frederick, by the way, thank you very much for sending me that box of chocolate quite a while ago from Belgium. I am I am forever in your debt. Speaking of controversial statements, I think it's time for a little debate. Okay, we are back with our second debate of the podcast today. We are calling this segment, Who's the Least Wrong Anyway? Because no one is ever usually right. Nope. The winner of last week's episode is, drumroll please, Dane Cash. Bullshit. Wow. Take it up with the <laughs> take it up with the voters, Kelly. Take it up with no. the people of the internet. No, I, I voted for Dane. Uh so that was <laughs> I think that was well deserved. A well deserved victory. Uh built largely off of actual preparation and understanding of the rules. And so kudos to you, Dane, for both of those things. I can I concede. I concede. I concede. Dane is the president. Thanks, Kelly. That's wow. uh, I'm really honored there. Yeah. So, moving into our next round of the debates, we have the winner, Dane Cash, up against Shoddy David Everett. The young upstart. <laughs> it's going to be like Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. And I reckon <laughs> Dane should be George Foreman because... He, he's got that grill, hasn't he? And can do chicken. Yeah, he made millions <laughs> after his boxing career was over. I'm fine with this. <laughs> so, the debate topic for today. Best men's transfer of the 2021 season. You've both been informed prior to the debate and have been able to pick a rider. Hopefully, when we start this, uh, you haven't picked the same rider. Because that would be awkward. Once again, I will rehash the rules. I'm going to flip a coin. Dane, as the winner of the last round, will be able to call heads or tails. If Dane wins the coin toss, then he gets to choose whether he's going first or second. If Shoddy wins, the, if Shoddy wins by, you know, you get it. You get it? We got you it. Get it. Yeah. I don't know why anyone gave me this job. <laughs> anyway, you each have one minute to debate your choice and then 30 seconds to rebuttal. Yeah, I'm just slightly worried about it this week because we're choosing riders. So we're just basically, when it's a rebuttal, we're just going to be slagging off the riders. Yeah, that is kind of true. I feel kind of bad. So to the the rider I'm going to be slagging off, I apologize now. It's not personal. I'm just trying to beat Dane. You can preface it by saying, look, I like you, but this is part of the game. Which I feel like people should understand, if you don't, that this is a game that we are trying to, we're trying to make a game. Anyway, Dane, heads or tails? Heads. Kaylee, please flip a coin. It's tails. Ooh, right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go second. Take it away, Dane, my man. All right, Dane. When you are ready to argue, please let me know. Okay. Count me in. Three, two, one. Uh, the best men's transfer of the 2020-2021 transfer season is Michael Matthews. He is going to a team where we know he can succeed. It's a team he has succeeded on in the past. It is the currently known as the Team Bike Exchange team, uh, formerly Orca Green Edge, where he spent several years early in his career, leaving the Sunweb organization where things just were not working out for rider and team. He was doing great. He was doing big things with Sunweb. Over the past two seasons, I think he's had some of the best riding of his career. Uh, he's taken a couple of World Tour level wins. Uh, he was podium at Milan San Remo, and yet Sunweb decided not to take him to any really uh, of the big races he had hoped to go to last year, basically, and unfortunately couldn't race the Giro. He's going to a team he knows he can win at in his prime, and it's a team that since he left and since uh, Garen's retired, or Garen's left the team and then retired, they haven't had a rider of that uh, punchy caliber. So I love the Michael Matthews to bike exchange move. Wow. Impeccable timing. Did you practice that? No, I pressed the timer on my oh. Google uh, and uh, set it at 60 seconds, so I knew how much time I had. I think that's that's timing doping. All right. Shoddy, when you are ready, count me in. You ready? Three, two, one. Right. My best transfer of 2021 is Roman Bardet. 
not just because he's a Frenchman, but he is leaving behind the brown and blue of uh, AG to Alamundial, and he's going over to uh, the black and blue now of DSM. He will have got stale with uh, AG to where he started out his career, not just as a professional, but on the development squad. And even while he was there, going stale, he was still getting awesome results. He was a man not just for the Grand Tours, where he's podiumed multiple times, but he was also awesome in some of the classics, Amstel Gold, and he clearly loves a bit of the gravel. Strada Bianchi has got second there before, so I can see him being a, a new, refreshed man, jumping off the DSM. The team's obviously showing what they can do with riders in the past year, at the Tour de France, at the classics. Heck, he's a man to watch for sure. Is that a minute? Boom. Nice. Yeah, you had you had three seconds to spare. I'm impressed. Yeah, Kaylee just pauses too long between each thought. So when he's talking, it's like, and furthermore. That's because my brain works really slowly. It's not my fault. Hold, hold on a minute. I've just got somebody wandering in here. So I shut the door, seeing we're filming. <laughs> Will, say Roman Bardet for me. Roman Bardet. Oh, <laughs> Roman. <laughs> 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 there we go her, her best mate at playgroups called Roman as well so hey another one to add to it <laughs> okay Dean you have 30 seconds to refute Shoddy's choice here we go are you ready count me in alright three, two, one. Uh, yeah Roman Bardet uh, I don't love this transfer for, for two big reasons uh, no offense to Roman himself obviously it's not personal one uh, the team that he's going to has had a track record over the past few years of yeah, turning out some great young riders who then did not have things go that well for them. They left the team. Uh, they have not been uh, able to hold on to their talent. The list of riders who have left that team is long. Marcel Kittle, Warren Bargiel, Michael Matthews himself, obviously, Tom Dumoulin. I, I don't love that for Roman Bardet, and I don't love it for the team. DSM getting Roman Bardet. And time. <sighs> All right, Shadi, are you ready to debate? I'm ready. Three, two, one. Let's go. Nothing against Matthew, Michael Matthews himself, but keep moving forward, my man. Never step backward. And this is what he's doing. He's moving backwards. He's going back to a team that he left for a reason. We don't know what that reason was, but I'm guessing it was because he wasn't getting the results that he was after. To go back to where he was, well, probably not getting the results that he wanted to, is, well, a silly move. And hey, Roman, don't let Dane upset you. You go and do the good stuff, my man. <laughs> And time. Oh man, I, this is a good one. This is a really great one. I feel like I don't. I don't know which person to choose. Roma, Roma. <laughs> hey, Roma. I know it's between Dane and Shoddy. Michael Matthews, not yeah. Roman Bardet and Michael Matthews. Yeah. Anyway, we've had our debate. It was a good one. I don't know. I think so. So we'll take it to the people, you guys, you, the listeners, get to vote on Twitter for the next week up until we have our next podcast. Let us know who you think is the best, Dane or Shoddy. Uh, and just so everybody knows, this is actually uh, sort of like a game of Survivor. So at the end of, of the year, uh, whatever CT staffer has the lowest number of points in the debate game uh, gets voted off the island. What, you mean we get a sack? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> the trick is... You just voted off the podcast. It might be you, Kaylee. <laughs> Fire myself. That would be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, continue to debate with each other internally. Whoever wins gets to move on to the next round and get James involved. It's going to be great. But for now, vote between who you think had the best debate. Dane versus Shoddy on Twitter and we will be back next week to debate a little bit more. God, do us proud people. Do us proud. Jose as our chief cyclocross correspondent. Tell us what happened. I believe this, that was the final world cup before worlds, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm as close to the mud as anybody on this uh, podcast. Uh, we had two wet races on the weekend, which is uh, quite extraordinary in these COVID times. Um, on Saturday, it was a win for Mathieu van der Poel. Um, 
Seven seconds behind him, Wout van Aert. So that was a nice duo uh, between the two huge favorites for this weekend's uh, World Championships. And on Sunday in Overijs, it was the other way around. But that was uh, because Mathieu van der Poel had a flat in the second lap. So that kind of meant that the race was over. He came back to about 10 seconds on Wout van Aert. So it seemed like the excitement was back in the race. But then he made a mistake. He, he crashed. He slipped away. It was a very slippery course. And uh, the fight was over and Van Aert won by over a minute. Um, on the women's side of things, it was a double win for the uh, reigning world champion, Céline Alvarado, beating uh, Lucinda Brandt and uh, Denise Betsema. And this weekend we have the world championships. There was a little bit of a panic here in Belgium, or Belgium is not where I live, but uh, there was a panic in Belgium that uh, the mayor of Oostende said that he might have to cancel um, I said before, there's uh, a huge scare here in the north of Europe due to the variations that we have now, what we call the British mutation and the South African one. And they have a huge outbreak in Ostenda of the South African uh, mutation of the coronavirus. So the mayor said, I'm not sure if you can go ahead. But now he has been talking to the Ministry of Health and they're going to limit the amount of uh, accreditations to 500, which includes everybody, riders, mechanics, soigneurs, press, cameramen, uh commentators, everybody. Uh, everybody has to be tested like it is already. And it seems like they can go ahead. If we look at the favorites uh, for the women, it's going to be uh, a Dutch battle. I don't see any other um, country there. Um, Lucinda Brandt, of course, she wants her first world title after five, after four podiums. Celine Alvarado seems to be in top shape. And Denise Betsema, who's really good in the sand. And on the men's side of things, it's of course going to be a huge battle between Wout van Aert and Mathieu van der Poel. Um, the, uh, there's going to be four titles up for grabs, two U23 titles, which are m most likely going to the Netherlands with the reigning champion, uh, Ryan Kamp, for the men. And for the women, who knows? There's there's Fem van Empel, there's Manon Bakker, there's Anique van Alphen, there's Puk Pietersen. They have so many... Shirin uh, van Androoy, so many uh, possibilities. So it might be four Dutch titles... Uh, or three Dutch titles and one Belgian. That's basically the outcome. So uh, that's going to be this weekend in uh, Ostende. Very uh, difficult course. Yeah, it's the sand course, right? That's yeah, not great. For, not not great for our American contingent. We don't tend to be super good in the sand, unfortunately. Well, Clara Hansinger might go for a podium. I I don't I I will not discard her for the podium. She's been on great form, Clara Hansinger. She has been. Yeah. And it would be great. Last year we had, of course. Uh, um, Katie Compton on the podium, so it would be great to have uh, Clara Hansinger on that podium. Yeah, young, super talented rider. Uh, I, I, we've also been running, we've been running uh, diaries from that team on CyclingTips.com. So if you miss those, go check them out. Uh, Clara's written a couple. Curtis White has written a couple. Uh, their mechanics wrote one, which is really interesting. Uh, they're just the, we call them the cyclocross diaries easy to find on Cycling Tips. Uh, some great stuff from from that team from across the pond. Next year, Cross Worlds in America, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is going to be interesting. Uh, I was just actually discussing with a friend the other day. I think we're going to, I think Cycling Tips will have a presence there. I will be there. <laughs> and, oh, well, fantastic. And also, uh, my friend proposed that we have a little fun with it and pick a random rider who's definitely not winning, like some <laughs> guy from the Czech Republic or something. And create a fan club, and <laughs> <laughs> and, claim, and basically claim a corner. And yeah, claim so all corners. exactly claim a corner. Get like get get sweatshirts made, get hats made, <laughs> get like big signs with this dude and his name, and we're just that. gonna be absolute, you know, some random dude super fans, <laughs> and. I love this idea. Yeah, and so that that'll be so. If you are a Cycling Tips podcast listener and you're planning on going to the Fayetteville uh, World, World Championships next year, plan on this. We will be opening it up, I believe, to <laughs> a vote for who, whom, we're going to be supporting at the World Championships, uh, and then we'll obviously we'll take care of of all the you know we'll make we'll get some signs made up, we'll get the clothing made. Uh, you know, mugs, I think, uh, you know, those little, like, number one hands that we do here in the States. Like, we'll do some of those. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great. We just need to figure out 
We got to have who we're going to be cheering gotta for. Got to print out rider cards too. Yeah. Oh, rider cards for sure. Like you know, I want I want selfies with the rider for every single person that's in the corner after the event. Uh, <laughs> we just need we need to find somebody who's who's going to enjoy it, right? Like somebody who's yeah. not probably going to be in the top twenty. You're just stealing the idea from the Australians who used to do it at a tour down under oh, 100%. Obscure Pro every year. And it was just like, it was awesome to see. And some of them obscure pros that they used to choose like five years later became like superstars of the sport. <laughs> yeah, we're going to pick pick some young rider who just, you know, is probably not going to go all the way to the US with their fan club. And we're going to be their fan club. That's what we're going to do. It should almost be a requirement that whoever we that whoever we support with this fan club is going to be planning on racing on clinchers. <laughs> Could be. We're going to, no, we're going to open this up. We're going to open this up to the audience with enough lead time. I mean, like once we have some idea who's going to be at worlds, right? We don't want to, we don't want to create a 20 foot banner with some dude's face on it. And then not at the race. <laughs> that would be, I don't know. That would be pretty awesome. I feel like. <laughs> He's just this. This rider is just watching on TV at home in the Czech Republic, and is like seeing his face <laughs> in the side of the course. That would be actually that'd be pretty amazing as well. <laughs> we miss you, whatever your name is. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll we'll open this up to the audience when when the time comes, and I'm assuming that there's going to be lots of podcast listeners at the World Championships. Uh, we'll create a little bit of a CT zone there. Maybe we'll do some live podcast. Actually, that'd be fun, uh, and we'll be creating our cheering section our fan club for some unknown rider if you have if you have you know a rider in mind just let us know tweet it at us or whatever we'll, we'll make a big list and then we'll decide when the time comes <laughs> it is time to get our nerd on oh for God. nerd alert nerd alert nerd alert nerd alert nerd alert nerd alert james what are we talking nerd about today alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> abby Abby did not like my segue there. Sorry, Abby. <laughs> James, what are we talking about? I feel like we talk about chains a lot here on Sucking Tips, but it's it's warranted, I feel like, again, in this segment, because this company called Taya, they've been around for a while, but they've just introduced this new chain design uh, that doesn't have the roller that has existed on bicycle chains for uh, like over 100 years. With any normal, complete chain link, you have two outer plates, two inner plates, you have rollers, two pins. Uh, Taya has just gotten rid of the rollers altogether, and they've basically integrated that function into just sort of like a bigger shaping of the inner plate. And they are claiming that this chain is, quote, lighter, quieter, longer lasting, and more efficient, unquote. Is that true? It all sounds kind of interesting. Well, here's the thing. So it all sounds super interesting. Um, our resident chain expert, Dave Rome, who else would write this article, of course. Uh, he's just published an article on cycling tips that you should definitely check out that pretty thoroughly debunks several of those key claims. Mm. Yeah, first of all, it's it's not any lighter at all. Um, that seems like an easy one to... to, to <laughs> how, do you, how do you make a you, claim you, like well, that and be like, oh, well, sorry, our scales well, were it's off. It's all relative, right? It's all relative. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like four grams lighter than a Dura-Ace chain or something. Mm. So is it technically lighter? Sure. Okay. Um, but... Dave had a big conversation with Jason Smith, uh, who is at Ceramic Speed, but formerly ran Friction Facts, and he is another uh, someone else who is kind of regarded as sort of a worldwide expert on the topic of drive uh, worldwide expert on the topic of bicycle drivetrain friction. And uh, in his opinion, you know that that roller is a pretty essential component, not only for reducing friction, since it sort of allows the chain to kind of like roll onto each chainring and sprocket tooth instead of sliding in, um, but having that roller also helps shield the actual rotating parts inside the chain from dirt and debris. And uh, with this rollerless design, you basically just have it all exposed. Um, I mean, the friction part is not really a big deal for people who are more concerned about durability than saving a water or two. Um, and on the durability front. You know, Taya is claiming some, you know, it, it's, they're claiming that this chain will last longer. And that may very well be true. But the biggest issue is that because the chain kind of slides against the face of every tooth that it engages, the chain itself might last longer. But the problem is it wears the associated component that it's sliding against faster. And chains are about the cheapest part of that equation by far. And personally, if I have a chain that lasts three times as long, but I'm re replacing twice as many cassettes or chain rings that becomes an issue yeah no good 
Hmm. So debunked. Let's, no, let, let, let's let's be honest. Like, even though they're banging on about all this new technology, the new bits and bobs, right? How many people don't look after their chain? Like, they'll go out, ride it for weeks on end without oiling it. So does this really matter for the the general uh, I, general ride? I feel like this could very well be the topic of another CT debate in the near future. <laughs> Kaylee and I may have to go head to head on chain maintenance here. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, the problem with that debate is like I know I'm wrong. I'm just also I just also know I'm lazy. <laughs> I know I'm not wrong about me being lazy and not wanting to deal with my chain. I can't so. wait to get into tech debates. I've got oh, I'm man. super excited for tech debates. Uh, I've got I've got so many ideas for tech debate topics. Yep, I've got so many ideas. Oof, Abby, you, you you're gonna be able to jump in on, on a bunch of these too. It's gonna get heated. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so long story short here, uh, the chain design that has existed for a century remains the good one, basically. Basically, yes. I mean, it sounds like this, these Taya chains are, they're going to be cheaper to manufacture because they get rid of uh, you know one component of the chain. So it just makes it easier to, to assemble and just, you know, there's just fewer parts and that sort of thing. So, I mean, the manufacturing cost should be lower. So it, it, it might be a good thing for like kid chains or like, you know, lower end bikes, that sort that of thing. That was going to be my next question but is like, are we going to see these on, on sort of big box store bikes? You know, the bikes that are probably not going to get ridden that much anyway, you know, you're not going to put like a couple thousand miles on the, the like $200 hardtail most likely. Well, I, th I think you already are seeing some of these on those bikes. I mean, again, yeah, at, at that part of the market, you're you're talking about product managers that are just super cutthroat in terms of cutting costs. And like, if you can save even just a few cents here and there, they're going to take it. Um, and my understanding is those those chains are already being used there. And from what we can tell, um, and based on the fact that Taya hasn't really put up much of a fight uh, with some of these arguments that that Dave and Jason Smith have put forth, uh, it sounds like that those are the sorts of bikes where this chain should stay. There we go. So, don't go out and buy the new Taya chain for your high-end Dura-Ace-laden $15,000 road bike. Probably. Sorry, Taya. We're not buying it right now. Alas. I think it's time to call it a day. I think we're out. We're done. All right. I'd be good with that. Good episode, everybody. Pat yourselves on the back. Nine and a half out of ten. I think we did it. We did this time. We got to pat ourselves on the back because you know our, our iTunes reviewers certainly, else certainly aren't going to. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We keep talking about a like a mean tweets episode, but we'll do it at some point. I found the meanest one. Yeah, that was that was just that was a pretty mean one. But in, in well, actuality, I, we got a really we got a bunch of really awesome reviews after last week's episode. So thank you guys so much for for taking the time to go to iTunes and give us good reviews because it actually does help people find the podcast too. It is yeah, and it also is yeah. is how our our podcasts get bumped up in the iTunes uh, universe. And so yeah, thank you so much for for reviewing us. Continue to do so, pretty please, if you have not yet done so. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We love all of you, all of our Segment Tips podcast listeners. You're the best. Even those of you who send mean reviews. We still, we even if you don't love us, we love you. No, that guy all was right. so mean. I, was we got it. We're gonna kill him with kindness. Uh, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.